During the past uh, two weeks of the retreat, we have uh, dealt with some aspects of uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, so some aspects of the establishment of mindfulness. In particular, there was one discourse on contemplation of postures with an emphasis on the walking meditation. And then there was one talk about the nature of the mind, how to get to know the mind. And so in that certain context, we then mentioned the instructions that come under Chittanupasana, mindful contemplation of the mind. Now, out of those certain four establishments of mindfulness, we have dealt at least to some extent with mindfulness of the body and the mindful contemplation of the mind. Now, we haven't touched upon feedings as yet, and that's what we're going to do today. Now, when you go to, let's say, if you happen to be a meat eater, and then you go to an Argentinian steakhouse, and you order big steak, and you get your steak, and you eat your steak, then this experience will, then you might certainly say, oh, what a wonderful meal, what a delicious steak, and a certain pleasure goes along with it. Or, it certainly might certainly happen and that you decide to, you know, on a sunny day, you could decide to you know, go to you know, the beach and then you lace around certainly in you know, the sand for a number of hours. And then, um, you know, then sooner or later, you know, you know, the sun uh, uh, sets, it gets something cooler, so it's time to go you know, back home. And then the overall experience will be one of what? Of pleasant, yes, and you might certainly say, what a fun day this was. But then, uh, if uh, you lace on, uh, on the beach, and so, let's say in Thailand somewhere, and there's certainly lots of sunshine, you might certainly end up with a sunstroke. By the time you get back to your accommodation, you still feel pleasure. <laughs> no longer. So, then we have experiences uh, and uh, then there might be you know, also you know, the experience of uh, let's say you know, with friends you know, first going to the movies watching a really fascinating movie that everyone is talking about and uh, then after that you, know, you go uh, you go to some wine restaurant 
and suddenly then you have a, gla a glass or two of uh, really delicious wine. So by the time you get back home again, you, know, you feel you know, what a wonderful day, what a wonderful evening this was. It was really um, something special and uh, you feel quite uh, uh, pleased with the whole experience. Now, when it comes to experiences involving happiness or pleasure, is this all that is our, at our disposal? Going to the movies, eating a steak, lazing around at the beach. <laughs> well, yes, any, any other form. Well, you might. Ah. Ah. So, there might be types of happiness around that sudden do not necessarily require eating uh, an Argentinian steak nor do they require going to the movies and drinking a glass or two of wine, nor do they require an expensive vacation in Thailand. So, there are types of happiness available that come oftentimes in the context of meditation practice. Now, as already alluded to in one of the earlier talks, if you observe the eight precepts in a meticulous manner, day by day, and then after maybe two weeks, you look at your virtue, your morality, then you find you've really, you know, there's nothing, you, know, you haven't transgressed in any particular no way, and suddenly then happiness suddenly might arise owing to this. So this then would be known as happiness of morality or virtue, anawajatna sukha in the Pali scriptural language. Now, again, mind restraining the senses in a continuous manner. The mind is less bombarded. There's less likelihood for unwholesome states to arise. And suddenly this thing leads to the arising of a different kind of happiness, namely the happiness of the restraint of the senses, abhyaseka sukha in the Pali scriptural language. Or it might happen after maybe about more than one week of practice, sometimes up to 10 days or so, and you experience a lot of calmness. Not that you've taken any tranquilizers, but calmness that arises out of the meditation practice. And certain, and then it might certain happen that certain you 
practice an awful lot and for weeks and months you're in intensive mindfulness practice and then a substantial amount of equanimity is there equanimity towards sub-formations and there's a certain happiness that goes along with this particular experience or we have the happiness that suddenly comes along with the ceasing of conditioned formations. So, Santi Nisukha in the Pali scripture language, that would be the happiness of peace. And by peace, it is not meant an ordinary type, a mundane type of peace, but rather a super mundane type of peace. So, so this particular experience again yields a certain type of happiness. If we were to engage in samatha meditation and you know, through you know, the development of mindfulness, you know, sorry, through the development of concentration. The mind is quite secluded from the arising of the hindrances as certain well as secluded certain from other people. Then this type of happiness we might certainly then refer to as sukha. So the the happiness or the bliss that arises from being secluded from the crowd and from defilements. Now, prior to this, there might also be an experience that is known as Nekama Nesukha, the happiness of renunciation, and that happens when we temporarily renounce certain essential pleasures. So that itself then is and gives rise to another form of happiness. Or we might certainly experience what is certainly known as upasama nisukha, a bliss that arises out of the quieting down of the mental defilements. So there are obviously not only worldly types of happiness or pleasant experiences available, but also forms of happiness, of pleasant experiences that do not necessarily involve the gratification of fitness and desire. Now, the difference between the unwholesome types of pleasure or pleasant feeding and wholesome types of pleasure or pleasant feeding is that in the case of 
um, unwholesome types, they usually involve you know, the uh, presence or, or you know, you know, the association of some unwholesome mental state. So you know, greed you know, will be you know, there. Whereas in the case of wholesome experiences of pleasure or pleasant feeling, this is rather associated with renunciation and certainly thus not associated with greed. Now, because of this fundamental difference among feelings, the Buddha speaks not just of one class of feelings, but rather he speaks of two classes of feelings, namely worldly feelings and then unworldly or spiritual feelings. Now, the instructions that we find in the Satipatthana Sutta, under you know, the section of, uh, the contempl- of a contemplation of feelings, Vedna Nupasana Satipatthana, are as follows. When feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neutral feeling, one knows I feel a neutral feeling. Now, this differentiation here as pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling, that is relatively well known. But far less known are the unworldly feelings. Namely, the Buddha goes on to then propose when feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. Then, the same thing with regard to unpleasant feelings. When feeling and a worldly unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly unpleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly unpleasant feeling, one knows accordingly. Then, when feeling a worldly neutral feeling, one knows I feel a worldly neutral feeling. And when feeling an unworldly neutral feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly neutral feeling. Now, the distinction then is being made between worldly feelings and unworldly feelings. The worldly feelings are known in the Pali scriptural language as samisa, vedana, and certainly the unworldly ones as niramisa, vedana. Now, the Patisambhita Magga, in its Satna first Satna volume or first Satna treatise, Satna section 279, 
explains that worldly pleasant feelings are those related to the six sense pleasures, whereas their unworldly counterparts are those related to renunciation. Now, venerable scholar and meditation teacher who resides here in the States has certainly defined pleasant feeling as associated pleasant feeling or happiness associated with greed and directed to pleasurable form, sound, smell, smells, tastes, and tangibles in essential happiness. And we could actually also add here or pleasurable mental objects. So this form are yeah, these are known as sensual happiness, kama sukha in the Pali scriptural language. Now, then on the other hand, pleasant feeling or happiness associated with wholesome roots produced by renunciation of sensual enjoyments is unworldly or spiritual happiness, niramisa sukha in the Pali scriptural language, or the pleasant feeling of renunciation, nekamatna sukha in Pali. And the happiness of jhana is a spiritual happiness born of seclusion from the sense pleasures and satna, the hindrances. So the so-called Bhaviveka Sukha, happiness of fatna concentration. Now, At certainly the time of the Buddha, this it was common for ascetics to look down on feelings, especially pleasant certain feelings. And the Buddha, when meditating intensively, realized that there are two categories of feelings. There are, there's one category that indeed has or is associated with unwholesomeness, and then there is a different type of feelings that is not associated with unwholesomeness. And certainly that second certain type of feeling is quite okay to experience and to make good use of. Now, 
It is because fear among you know, the various experiences that you know, that certainly come up in you know, the body and certainly mind. It is because feelings, the arising of feelings, tends to have you know, sequences, sometimes major or major consequences. Sorry, and certainly therefore. The Buddha felt that it was important to include or to do what he then termed mindful contemplation of feelings, Vedna, Nupasna, Satipatthana. He could have as well chosen to maybe do mindfulness of perceptions, but he did not. And recognizing the importance of feelings, he then proposed that one undertakes this particular form of contemplation. Now, we'll go into these certain consequences of or results of fitness feelings in a little while and then in greater detail. Now, feeling is a mental state or a mental factor that is not necessarily always well understood. Now, in the Majjhima Nikaya, it's first volume section of 302, we find the following very simple definition. Friend Wisaka, whatever is felt bodily or mentally as pleasant and soothing is pleasant feeling. And then, whatever is suddenly felt bodily or mentally as painful and hurting is painful feeling. Dukkha Vedana in the Pali scriptural language. Whatever is felt bodily or mentally as neither soothing nor mm, hurting is neither painful nor pleasant feeling. So, a feeling then might arise not only with regard to mental objects, but also with regard to bodily objects. Now, whatever the predominant experience might be at a given point in time. So this could be the observation of the rising movement of the abdomen or falling or sitting or touching a pain, an ache or or some mental, mental object. There will be a certain effective quality to the experience. And it is that effective quality as being either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral that has to do with feeling. So, 
a feeling is not the same thing as certain what certain is referred to in modern psychology at times as emotion feeling from a, from buddha's certain perspective is simply a mental state that knows certainly the affective quality of an experience or not knowing but certainly the effective quality of an experience now the characteristic of feeling is simply being felt something is being felt as either being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral and its function is as experiencing or its function is to enjoy the desirable aspect of an object its manifestation is the relishing of the associated mental factors. Now, when it suddenly comes up to the mental factor of feeling, it is the primary mental factor that is responsible for this act of feeling. The other mental factors have different functions. And so this particular situation then is being illustrated in the text, namely by comparing a cook who cooks for you know, a royal king or queen and certainly then you know, the, and who samples um, just a little bit of the various dishes while cooking and whereas the king or the queen you know, fully enjoy you know, the entire meal with all uh, of its certain courses so feeling is like the king or the queen then who then relish all of the different dishes whereas the cook is more like all the other mental states who only derivatively know the the quality of an object Or a cook who only knows uh, the uh, the taste of food derivatively. Now, those uh, feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and certain neutral feelings, when we start paying closer attention to them, we will gradually find out some of their characteristics or some of their aspects. And in the course of a day, we might find that as we have different experiences, there will be our pre our predominant feeling will change quite
quite a bit. So for a while, an unpleasant feeling might be predominant, and suddenly that then gradually fades away. Neutral feeling might take its place. Neutral feeling sooner or later also passes, and suddenly then a pleasant feeling might arise. So there is certain passage in or sutta in the Samyutta Nikaya that describes or refers to the feelings as being like wind in the sky or we could say like clouds in the sky. The clouds get driven here and certainly there. Now, from an Abhidhamma point of view, the mental factor of feeling is one of the seven universals, which means it's no matter what the consciousness is, feeling will be there. So whether it's an a wholesome type of consciousness or unwholesome or indetermined a feeling will be there. Now, the a passage from the Diganikanya, namely volume 2, section 66, explains that we can experience only one feeling at a time and not two or all three feelings at the same time. So it says, and I'm quoting, when a pleasant feeling is felt, no painful or neutral feeling is felt, but only pleasant feeling. When a painful feeling is felt, no pleasant or neutral feeling is felt, but only painful feeling. And when a neutral feeling is felt, no pleasant or painful feeling is felt, but only neutral feeling. Now, as we carefully observe and as we carefully observe certain feelings, we come to see that these feelings are really not all are not all that permanent. So, let us say we experience some pleasant feeling owing to that certain really delicious certain steak and certainly then by the time we get back home and we brush our teeth with some strong toothpaste all the all the taste of the steak will be gone and certainly so then that pleasant certain feeling is no more and maybe a more neutral feeling takes certain its certain place. Now, in connection with a pain, a physical pain in the knee or elsewhere in the body, this is on many occasions likely to be accompanied by an unpleasant certain feeling. Now, now, this unpleasant feeling in association, in connection with a pain, now this too 
will not last forever. When the pain gradually fades away, that unpleasant feeling may also fade away. Or what might happen is that our practice progresses significantly and then more and more equanimity is there and suddenly then a pain is seen as just another sensation and at that point the unpleasant feeling is likely to then change into a neutral feeling. Now, again, with certain objects that have rather bland certain features, a neutral feeling that might be associated or might be connected uh, with the object. That neutral feeling too is not going to last forever. Sooner or later it will get replaced by some other feeling. Now, the result of but now our investigation then will be that certain feelings like all the other conditioned formations are pretty much impermanent. They are transitory, they are pretty ephemeral. They're in a constant certain state of Fatna flux. Now, if we happen to be a person who very much goes by feelings and then takes decisions based on gut feelings. So if there's a, you know, a soothing feeling in the gut, then okay, this means I have to go ahead. But certainly, if there's maybe some cramping in the gut, certainly then one will not go ahead. Now, when one has understood that feelings are pretty transitory and that there's no subject to change, then we, over time, we might certainly then take a more detached attitude towards them. So then, a feeling is just another object, a mental object, and certainly this undergoes changes, and we don't have to take it all that certainly seriously. Now, a person who places much emphasis on feelings and takes decisions based on the prevalent feeling might associate with feeling as the seat of the self. That is me. So there's a certain identification with the feeling. And so Upon really close observation, we find that those certain feelings, well, they come and go, and sometimes they're pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, and certainly that we really don't have any control over those certain feelings, 
And so at times you know, there is just a feeling, but um, you know, there's no you know, person behind it, uh, there's no you know, doer you know, there. And suddenly so we notice there's a certain uh, or yet yeah, non-identification. You know, there's no uh, I and my and mine. And with this thing, we discover that a feeling in the end is not identical with a self. So with this, Satna then, you know, we realize that feelings, just like all the other you know, formations, are subject to the three universal characteristics of mm, impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and also um, that they are not to be taken as a self. Now, over time, we might certainly further find that with regard to one and certainly the same object, namely, uh, as an example, a pain, our feeling may change. So at first, we might certainly experience you know, a pain as associated with an unpleasant feeling, but then later on, it might certainly turn into a neutral feeling, or it might turn in even into a pleasant feeling. With this, we realize that feelings are pretty relative. Feelings with regard to one object are pretty relative. So at times, an object goes along with a pleasant feeling. At other times, more or less the same object goes along with an unpleasant feeling. And then again, it could be a neutral feeling. Now, neutral feelings in general tend to be a bit, at least at first, a bit difficult you know, to you know, discern. And the way to uh, uh, well, get hold of you know, those, or, or to um, pinpoint you know, those certain neutral feelings is by uh, f first experiencing a pleasant feeling, and suddenly then for a while one doesn't quite know what it is and then and then there's an unpleasant feeling which is both the pleasant as well as the unpleasant are distinct so one recognizes the pleasant feeling as pleasant one recognizes the unpleasant as unpleasant and then one uh, deducts owing to the fact that the feeling in between is neither pleasant nor unpleasant one then knows okay this then must be the neutral feeling so gradually one then gets a sense for what are neutral feelings now These feelings, or mindful contemplation of feelings, is so important because in the absence of mindfulness, they might activate certain latent tendencies. Anusia in the Pali scripture language, such as lust, such as hatred, such as ignorance. So, the usual 
state of affairs is, in the absence of mindfulness, some pleasant feeling arises, and then what follows? Grasping. What's that? Grasping. Yes, grasping follows, but first there will be some, uh, well, uh, desire for it, or desire or liking of it. So, uh, lust or greed will be there, or we can call it certain craving. And that certainly then, if it's even stronger, in a stronger form, then it turns into grasping upadana in the Pali scriptural language. So the presence of a pleasant feeling in the absence of mindfulness is likely to lead on to the arising of craving, namely tanha in the Pali scriptural language, and this in turn, again in the absence of mindfulness, is likely to lead to lead a person to the arising of grasping of the experience. Now, when we experience an unpleasant feeling, again, in the absence of mindfulness, well, there will be certain activation of a latent tendency, and in this case, it's irritation, ill will, anger, disliking. And that then may have further consequences. Or, when an object is has bland features, so the features aren't all that distinctive, then a neutral feeling will be there. In the absence of mindfulness, then based on the bland features, based on the neutral feeling, then some ignorance is certainly likely to arise. So in the absence of mindfulness, when we experience a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling, all we get are just, or is the arising of the three roots of unwholesomeness, namely loba, mula, dosa, mula, and moha, mula. And does this help our meditation practice? Not really. So we're not certainly here to pollute certainly the mind, but we're here to purify the mind of mental impurities. And because these feelings have a tendency to set in motion quite a sequence of other events, so it's kind of like a domino series, Therefore, the Buddha included feelings as a particular, as a separate establishment of mindfulness. Now, there's yet another mm, sequence to keep an eye. Now. Known and as we've discussed, a worldly pleasant certain feeling arises. This leads to liking and then you know, to attachment. Now, in the case of an unworldly pleasant feeling, if we're mindful of it, then it certainly may even contribute to the realization of uh, the Dhamma.
Now, based on this differentiation between worldly and unworldly pleasant certain feelings, the Buddha then declared himself to be one who lives in happiness and not the type of happiness that is based on eating a delicious steak or going to the movies or uh, hanging on certain on the beach but it's rather happiness that comes from it within and certain that in the highest certain case is connected with the realization of the Dhamma or uh, absolute purity. And the Bhattisamita Magga, so the path of discrimination, states just that by saying that with full awakening, joy as an enlightenment factor also reaches certain perfection. So you know, then you know, there is an experience of both happiness and certain joy. Now, all of you know, this you know, to counter arguments by those certain people who don't quite understand and say, well, the Buddha's teachings are so negative, uh, it's only about certain dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. <laughs> and uh, which is really not the case because certain, well, the Buddha does speak of dukkha. In a sense, Satna, that he acknowledges the existence of Dukkha, and then he takes it a step further by saying there is also happiness. There's, if we go beyond mm, this ordinary mm, Dukkha, then and a genuine type of unworldly happiness and joy can arise. When it comes to arahans and their relationship to feelings, it's quite clear based on the text, and this must happen once sensed or once craving has been eradicated, and ill will also has been eradicated, and delusion has been eradicated. So an arahant who has gained full knowledge then will assume a detached attitude towards certain feelings and indeed see feelings just like those clouds in the sky that suddenly get pushed in this direction or that direction. So the feelings suddenly then lose their importance that we usually attach to them. Now, sometimes there is um, 
misperception, a wrongful idea floating around among you know, some retreatants, that the realization of arahantship, so becoming an arahant, a holy one, is tantamount to the eradication of feelings. What do you think? Is that the case or not? It's not the case. Feelings still persist. However, an arahant will take a detached attitude towards them and so will no longer be impressed by them in any particular way. And when dealing with a pleasant feeling, then the experience will be one free from loss. When dealing with an unpleasant feeling, the experience will be free from ill will. When dealing with a neutral feeling, the experience will be free from ignorance. So there's a huge difference here. Now, to clarify things even further, uh, even if one has become an arahant, feelings will still arise, and they will arise until one has gained this final passing away. So until the physical death takes place, and with that there's no more rebirth, and hence no more arising of feeling. Even the Buddha now still experience pleasant, unpleasant, and certain neutral feelings. However, he mm, he was so mindful and clearly comprehending that certain his mind would just not certain engage with those certain feelings. Now, the contemplation of feelings might then help us to better understand their true nature and also to develop a more detached attitude towards them and as a result suffer a little bit less. Allow me to conclude today's Dharma talk on feelings with a certain emphasis on pleasant certain feelings by wishing may this contemplation of certain feelings yield certain good results may it lead to a deep understanding and may it lead you even to the realization of the Dhamma. So, contemplation of feelings has the potential to lead a person to the realization of the highest Dhamma. May it be so.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.